This is Professor Raymond Noby, Department of Ancient History, log entry number two. I believe I have made a significant find in the castle of Cantor. Having journeyed there with my wife, Henrietta, my daughter, Annie, and associate professor, Ed Gettler. It was in the rear chamber of the castle. We stumbled upon something remarkable. Once again, you ask the same shit you ask every week. But I'll indulge you, you creepy English tart. I'm here for my weekly stash of teddy mags, my favorite taco bar in the whole wide world, Toblerone, and my lotto tickets. <gasps> Who found a shingle? I have one! On this episode, host Eric Carey resumes his conversation with writer-director Brad Sykes. They discuss Brad's lost film starring Linnea Quigley, Scream Queen, his new shot on video anthology High 8, conventions, film festivals, filmmaking, and a whole slew of other topics. You even get a little more of the witchcraft conversation. In case you just can't get enough. This interview was recorded on the tape a call up, so forgive the poor audio quality. Derek did record his voice on a decent mic, but, due to an unforeseen addiction to Godzilla films in the wake of Gareth Edwards' new film, he was too busy to be bothered with editing in his audio. Write him at astroradiocpodcast at gmail.com, and bitch him at, the lazy fuck. He deserves it. To keep up to date with the various projects of Derek Carey and Rabbit Child Films, follow him on Facebook and Twitter. Also, follow Astro Radio Z on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and astroradioz.com where you can find all the episodes and some of the other Astro Radio podcasts such as Film Jerks. Astro Radio Z is on iTunes and Stitcher Smart Radio. Subscribe, review, and pass it along to your friends. Now, on with the show. I work with a director out of Racine, Jason Paul Collum, who's who used to do. Oh, I, I, I know who he is. Yeah, yeah, I know who he is. Very. Yeah. Very, yeah, yeah. Him and I, him and I have done a few documentaries. Like we just had one come out a year or so ago called uh, "Screaming in High Heels." And I've uh, seen it. I've seen it. It was a great job. Very nice. Oh, awesome! No, I have seen you. it. I, I uh, I've seen that movie. I was actually looking forward to seeing that when I, I heard about it and. Um, you know, I thought it was really good. I mean, I've, I've worked with a few of, I mean, my first movie was with Linnea Quigley, you know, so. Um, right. She's really cool, and, and I met Brink before, and she's really nice, and, you know, there's just a lot of cool people, and I know Jason's very into this stuff, and he's really, I mean, he's done a ton of things over the years, and so I was, I, I figured it would be a good, a good movie, and yeah, I enjoyed that. Speaking of Linnea, so are we ever going to see a release of Scream Queen? You know, I, I, your guess is as good as mine at that at this point. 
Because I thought I had heard, like, in 2012 that there that someone secured a, a release on that. Well, what happened is, uh, I'll try to be brief about this. I mean, basically, the movie is currently owned by a company called Leo Films, which is a distributor that has been around for a long time. Uh, I did a few movies for them as well. Um, it's kind of around the time I was doing this stuff for Vista Street. And they ended up with, the, not because of me, but they ended up with the rights to Screen Queen. They own the movie. And... Uh, in, you mentioned t- 2012. Yeah, probably in, in 2012, um, I was was talking to Steve Lustgarden, who who runs Leo, about releasing this movie, which he's had for years. And I had a friend who I'd been working with, um, who could do like a essentially author, you know, clean up the movie and author like a a DVD, like a top-to-bottom, you know, commentary, still gallery, all that. He could do all of mm-hmm. that. So Steve was interested in doing that, and I produced the DVD. I got my friend Tony Masiello to do the the work. He did a real nice job with it. He, he really did the very best job he could have possibly done with this movie. And 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 uh, we delivered that to Steve, and we delivered it in 2012. And then, then uh, Ron Bonk, who I've also worked with on a few things, he was interested in, in screening the movie at his uh, Syracuse Horror Fest. So it was going to be the premiere of this movie that was shot in 1998. It was almost like a 15-year anniversary of this thing, and people were finally going to get to see it, and he screened it. And we got a lot of articles about that on Joe Blow and all this. You know, A lot of people covered that. So it seemed like we were pretty much primed to release the movie. <laughs> that would have been a great kind of like nice buzz leading up to a DVD release, but it just hasn't happened. And... I honestly, at this point, I really don't know why. Um, I do talk to Steve about it once in a while, and he says he's interested in doing it. I mean, he's even done artwork for it, which is actually really nice artwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, we took some stills during the shoot. It was like a literally like a still um, session that we did with Linnea. She was really cool and, and really made herself available to us when we were making this, this movie. She's and, awesome. She's She is awesome, and, and I was really fortunate to... To work with her, I mean, to to be you know 23 and, and making my first feature in Los Angeles, to have someone like her in my corner because she really was in my corner. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine making that movie without her, and and I learned a lot from her. You know, uh, making that film, and so you know, and I think there's just there's just people who'd like to see it. You know, uh, you know, and and. I think it would do fairly well if it was released, so it just needs to get out there. And you know, and I, I do, I kind of tell Steve once in a while, or you know, ask him what's going on with the movie, or what do you think about doing. In fact, I will tell you, the last time I heard from him, the last email I got from him, he said, "I'm going to release it this year." Hmm. That's what he said. So I hope he does. I, I, you know, I know it costs money, and and it's it's an effort. I know it's hard for independent distributors sometimes to launch titles, just to get them out there, just to physically get them out there. Um, it's 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 not easy, but you know I I I think it would be great if it happened. You know, um, it's kind of ironic. I mean, it's literally my first movie, and it's the only one that has not been released, mm-hmm. uh, commercially released. So you know, we'll see what happens. Um, well, you know, there's I've, a, done, there's I've a... done all I can. There's there's like I said, there's an author DVD waiting to go. So it's it's not like there's like elements in. 
you know, in a warehouse somewhere that we can't get to because someone locked it up and you sure. know, crazy ex-wife won't let us take the masters or something like that. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just a, it's just a movie that is, it's completely done. It's completely ready to go. And it's, it's, he's got it. So, you know, it's, uh, the ball is in his court. Well, let's, let's cross our fingers and hope that does come yeah, out. That would have been one I would have loved to have used clips from for the documentary. Cause we, we scoured, it's every single source and tons of different people to try and get as many clips as we could mm-hmm. of all the three girls in that yeah. film. Yeah, that yeah that was that was made in an interesting period for her, you know, because she was kind of like it was like post eighties or you know I mean we made it in ninety eight, you know, it's kind of like that post like eighties early nineties scream queen boom, but it was mm-hmm. like prior to like the sort of the the nostalgia the retro thing that's come back where people are like really starting to appreciate these women now and appreciate like the filmmakers and you know just these movies in general and right, right. it was kind of an interest it was kind of a weird in between period and uh you know i i think i mean she couldn't have been cooler and 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 you know nicer and and it's and the whole movie plays on her persona i mean that's why I think a lot of fans would probably really enjoy it because she's playing a screen queen i mean it's kind of like a movie within a movie going on in this thing and and uh, she's, you know, she has like a fun kind of campy, over-the-top, bitchy character that she plays. <laughs> and, and, and I was making, I mean, at the time, like, I was making fun of, like, girls that were coming out, like, and well, it's still kind of going on today, but I was making fun of, like, girls that were showing up and did, like, one movie, and they called themselves Screen Queens. Yeah. And I remember there's, we had, it was kind of funny, because we have a girl in the movie who was kind of that type. I mean, she wasn't exactly, but she was kind of like that, and... Linnea's line was was like something like, "You do a little shower scene in some movie that's shot in Ohio, and you call yourself a screen queen." And I mean, she couldn't have like delivered that better. I mean, she really sunk her teeth into that, and I think that she was channeling something on some level. You know? Oh, I'm sure she was. <laughs> and, and like I said, keep in mind, she was the sweetest, coolest person. But she knew what was, you know, she knew which end was up. And I think that that's kind of one of the cool things about the movie is it's not just a horror movie. I mean, it's it's kind of a satire on the whole micro-budget or low-budget, whatever, indie horror scene at the time, which I was very, even though it was my first movie out here, I had already worked on a bunch of things and met a lot of people, and I was kind of commenting on that uh, with the film. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't have, you know, people get killed in it, and it's got the, you know, it's it's a horror film, but it's right. got a lot of, like, satiric, it's got, like, a satiric edge to it. So, yeah, it'd be nice to see it get out there. I can only talk about it because <laughs> I can see it. But I appreciate you guys looking for the clips. I mean, you you did you did have a lot of clips in that movie. Now that I think about it, and it's like I'm always amazed when I see a really. To me, that's one of the things that separates like a really good doc from you know uh, people who just kind of throw something together is when you really have the depth of interviews and clips. It's mm-hmm. like I know how hard that is to put that stuff together and how hard it is to. To, to track everything down and deal with everybody and, and get all that together. Get the rights. Get the rights. But, you know, that's what people want who, when they rent that or they buy that. That's what they want to see. And, and it really, like, it just puts it on a whole other level. You know what I mean? It puts it on a yeah. whole other level. So, yeah, you guys should be proud of yourselves with that. I mean, it's very, very cool. Well, thank you very much. Well, sure. speaking of an, another documentary, um, which will transition us into uh, the other conversation I wanted to have, um, you spoke of uh, Tony Masiello. He had actually contacted Jason about because Jason had shot a, a movie in mid to early 90s called Five Dark Souls. It was I've a shot on that. video film uh, that Michael D. Moore put out. Yes, 
more video. Yeah, more video. And I had talked to Tim Ritter because at the same time, Tim Ritter had recommended some uh, music from Alucarda to be mm-hmm. put into uh, Jason's film because mm-hmm. uh, Ritter had Creep out on the same label at the same time. Well, Tony had contacted us about uh, being involved with uh, SOV, the True Independence, mm-hmm. the ongoing documentary uh, that he's been making, and we became part of the Facebook group. And through that, I could see uh, kind of the spark happening for what ultimately would become uh, the, the shot on video anthology film that uh, you and Tim put together, High Eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think Tony was kind of uh, the spearhead that, that got the idea into your head to, he, to go through with this? Well, I would, I mean, I think that it was his group was instrumental in the formation of this movie. Um, because like you said, I mean, you know, Tony started, uh, you know, he created this group kind of around the same time, I guess, he started, you know, compiling the interviews and, and, you know, licensing clips and so on for his documentary for SOV. And I was, you know, I got involved through that. I, I, you know, met him through that, and he interviewed me. He came, you know, he came up from San Diego one day, and and this was probably, this was in 2012. Um, And, you know, and and I did an interview uh, for, for the film. And... You know, then I was in the group, and then I started to meet more people in the group. Some were fans, and some were fan filmmakers, and some were fans and filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then there were you know there were a lot of these names, and there were certain names that kept popping up that I recognized. You know, like Tim Ritter, you just mentioned, and Donald Farmer, and Todd Sheets, and and uh, you know a lot of people who were the essentially the very first SOV horror filmmakers. You know, they were the original guys who who, who spearheaded this when nobody else was doing it, and and you know back in the day, whether it was the late eighties, early nineties and and so somebody uh actually this guy Meha Hoons, that's his name, he he was the one who posted basically said in, in the SOV group he said, wouldn't it be cool if we got uh, a bunch of people together, um, you know, a bunch of filmmakers together and, and did an anthology or something something along those lines or pooled all of our energy to make something. And then Tim Ritter took that from that, and this was at the end of 2012, and it was like December, like really mm-hmm. the end of the year. And Tim Ritter then jumped on that and said, "Oh yeah, we could call it High Eight Horror Independent Eight. Well, I saw that. I think it was literally like New Year's Eve or something, and I was like, "That is a great idea." It's brilliant. I am like very title oriented as a filmmaker. I I I feel I'm a strong believer in like you've got to have a good title. If you don't have a good title, you probably don't have a movie. You know, I'm, I'm really like kind of Corman-esque in that regard. And it just sounded really good. I, I liked it for a couple of reasons. I liked the, the double, you know, obviously the, the sort of play on words. And I liked that it was that it was high eight because that's the format that I started shooting on when I was a teenager. The first video camera I ever got was high eight. And that's what a lot of people did, got who were of my generation. And so... It just sounded great. I contacted Tim, and you know, a few days later, we were basically like talking seriously about making the movie. And I asked my wife if she would be interested because she produces all my films. And and so we're like, well, you know, how how good of an idea is this? Like, how serious, you know, do we want to get about this? Because it's involving seven other directors, and I've never done anything like this before, and it's going to be a little bit of a logistical headache, you know. But there are some there's some possibility here there's some p- potential for something really cool that nobody else has done you know and so we started talking about it and, and everybody wanted to do it and and uh you know and then we started contacting filmmakers and once josephine and i and tim 
agreed to be executive producers and oversee the movie. Then we started brainstorming about who to contact. And, you know, pretty much everybody, we, we had a list that we were pretty much saw eye to eye on. Uh, and everybody we contacted, basically everyone we contacted was able to do was like immediately interested and able to do it and available. And um, so we got our wish list. You know, we got our wish list of directors, and you know, and then then we moved forward. You know, with from there. But yeah, I mean, Tony. No, I mean, Tony's group. That's where it was born. That's where the 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 idea was born. You know, um, and I, I think that's really nice because Facebook, as we all know, can be a negative thing sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and you know, but this was a case where it was actually turning into a positive because. It was a bunch of like-minded people, you know, um, sharing information, ideas, war stories, whatever, and it ended up turning into a movie. So that's pretty cool. It was amazing to watch because I remember I was a part of that group at that time, and I could just tell. And I was also in contact with Tim. Tim and I were talking back and forth because uh, he was looking for – he was having some major editorial issues with Deadly Dares at mm-hmm, the time. Mm-hmm. And he was talking – somebody con- had him contact me about possibly doing an HD, like, cleanup job. He was just having a lot of issues. So him yeah, and I sure. were talking. And to see that, like, that little nucleus happen in a Facebook group and grow into something that is as cool as – hiatus where you have Tim Ritter, you have Don Farmer, you have Ron Bach, you have Todd Sheets, you have Chris Seaver. I mean, you're talking about, and, and you, and you have the, you, no, I'm serious. There's, there's, if, when you talk about shot on video, you guys are the guys. Yeah, I, I really, I mean, you know, I couldn't, it, it's one of those ideas where you, you come, you, you come up with it or it comes, in this case, kind of came to me and, and, and I was like, this, why hasn't anyone else done this? We need to do it, like, right now, you know? Like, I couldn't wait till the, for the new year to start so I could start doing this movie, you know? I mean, it was, it was the coolest thing to think about, honestly, like, on New Year's Eve, to be thinking, we're going to be doing high eight next year, you know? And, and at the same time, you know, there's all those things that can go wrong, you know, that, that you, know, mm-hmm. you mentioned all these names. Well, you know, I was hoping, because I don't, and, talk, and also talking about Facebook, I don't know any of these filmmakers um, personally, you know, like I've never met any of them except for Marcus Koch. I met him, but this was after the project started. He was in L.A. and we met, and he hung out. You know, we hung out for a while. But in Ron Bonk, I've done some business with. You know, he released one of my old uh, talking about SOVs. He released one of my old SOV movies, my Hiat SOVs. Um, but but I didn't know any. I didn't know any of them. And you go based on their track record and their their profile and their and everything and, and their work. You know, and and you, you know, I've seen their movies and everything, but. There's all kinds of things that can happen, you know. People, things, life gets in the way sometimes, and and I was, you know, wondering, you know, are we when we get to the end of this film, however long it takes, uh, are we going to have the original eight filmmakers still on board? You know, mm-hmm. is someone going to drop out for whatever reason? Um, well, you know, I'm really, really grateful that, you know, the movie God smiled on us, and that didn't happen. Um, and and we we did give we did kind of give a timeline, like you know, we we kind of told everybody. You know, and probably in January, once we solidified the commitments from everyone, we basically said we'd really like to have everything done. Like, in, I think June was when we wanted to finish, it. and I think it ended up being finished like in late July or August. But 
You know, wow. That's pretty, that's pretty good, you know. That's pretty that's good. That's not bad at all. Eight filmmakers shooting all over the United States. I mean, and there were all kinds of things. I mean, there and, and almost all these films actually, you know, uh, had had different hurdles to overcome, as, as we all have when we make low-budget or micro-budget par, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it was the, the weather or an actor, you know, dropping out or... You know, or like you just mentioned, editorial uh, issues sometimes, just technical things. There's, you know, there's all these different things that can that that everyone had to kind of face. But we did, as a group, we did we did all manage to uh, to overcome all of that and and uh, you know and finish it. And, and now we're screening it all over the place. You know, but yeah, it was it was cool to for me because I'm the one who runs the web the well uh, the um, the Facebook group and. And it was cool to see that kind of grow and develop, and it was cool to see the the interest from people too. You know, that was like, you know, it kind of gave me, it made me feel like we really did make the, we really did make a good decision to make this movie, and and uh, that there's people who are excited to see it now. You know, so yeah, totally. Well, you hit it right at the right time because there's been that resurgence of the VHS culture. You know, well, yeah, totally. I mean, it's you know, and I mean, look, obviously there's the, the VHS movies, which you know. People were, you know, we knew we'd get pot shots from that, but at the end of the day, our movies, movie has nothing to do with that at all, and it's a totally different type of movie. But, but your, your movie's more VHS than VHS That's is. exactly right. <laughs> that's a good way. I'm going to use that quote. Um, no, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's like Marcus Koch said to me, you know, we need to, we need to kind of take this back because, you know, none of these, you know, the, the VHS movies... They're shot on like GoPros and like Reds and stuff like that. It makes no sense. It's it couldn't be more more new. You know, it's it's you're talking about analog. You know, your title is analog, and you're and you're for, and you're shooting on you know the the high end. You know, whatever the new digital toy is. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And and so no, it's it's that's a, that those films are basically just using the the term VHS to inspire nostalgia in VHS horror fans. That's really right. all they're doing. Those movies are yep. found footage. They couldn't be more. Of the time, let's just say, um, mm-hmm. with, with that, our movie is all narrative. They're all stories. That's what we do. That's what I do. That's what Ron does. That's what Tim does. Donald. That's what we do. You know, we tell stories. We don't strap a camera onto a GoPro uh, helmet and have a guy run around for for twenty minutes. You know, I mean, right? We're not. You know, if you want that, great. Those guys. You know, someone else can do that. And you can see that, but we're not. We're not interested in, in doing that. We're not trying to cash in on a trend. I mean, we're you know there are other anthologies out there, sure, but I think ours, you know, it stands out and by virtue of the people who are involved, and then also by virtue of the 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 idea behind it, the aesthetic, which is that everybody goes back to their roots and you know shoots with lower end cameras and uh, shoots on location and with prosthetic effects and you know I, I created like a I call it the eight simple rules of high eight. Uh, it was like a document that I sent to everybody who was involved, all the directors, and it just you know it was like no you know no green screen or CGI, you know no uh, no high end cameras, no HD cameras, you know, mm-hmm. just a lot of things like that because I didn't want you know anybody to uh, we weren't trying to do that. You know, and well, if you were going to go through with a gimmick, you better you better go through with it. Yeah, and everybody was cool with that anyway. Like everybody wanted to do that. Like, like some people even shot on high eight. Like Marcus Koch shot on high eight. Like Tim Ritter shot part of his on high eight. I think Tony Tony shot part of his on high eight. Tony Masiello, and you know, and and he's got like a movie within a movie, and he kind of did like the movie within 
on high eight, and you can tell the grain is different on the video. Yeah. It's great. I love it. And and uh, you know, so so yeah, we we had like some technical uh, requirements, let's just say, but creatively speaking, you know, I. I Everybody could do it, anything they wanted, um, as long as it was around 10 minutes. And, you know, other than that, they were completely free to, to do whatever type of film. I just said, you know, do a movie that's kind of in the, you know, maybe in the mode of things that inspired you. But but really, everybody just went off and did, you know, whatever they thought they, you know, sure. felt like doing. And, and that's great. I love that. And I think that everybody, you know, we're talking about Witchcraft 12 earlier, you know, and that's sort of the the classic example of a movie that you're just you know you're brought into it and you're you're restricted on in pretty much every level. Um, yeah. Whereas this is the opposite of that. This is you're not restricted on any level uh, except by your budget. But then again, when did that keep any of us from making films before? Absolutely. <laughs> that almost doesn't even matter. We're almost like okay, whatever. We you know uh, let's go let's go you know just be creative. And I think it kind of. I think it inspires everybody. So, as a producer, because you, you you kind of were the executive producer, right on this. Oh, right? that's the credit. Yeah, I mean, me and Joseph and Tim are the executive producers, and and I thought as an executive, like that's to me, we're like creative overseers. I mean, we're doing a lot of work, and we're dealing with like the contracts and all the stuff that's not fun that you need to do to like have a releasable movie. Um, but but yeah, we were we, we were trying to kind of oversee it from that standpoint, you know. Um, kind of like a it's almost like a push and pull because you don't want to push anybody too much but you you need to get you know movies delivered and you know see script drafts things like that you know sure to, to keep the keep a balance but as a producer um because i'm trying to run into this too with uh, me and a bunch of other wisconsin uh filmmakers are i have been doing an anthology which is when i when i've heard about it high eight it's so similar is that we kind of did the same thing where we we got a bunch of regional filmmakers together to put together horror filmmakers to make mm-hmm. an anthology, and I did the same thing where it's like okay, the only requirement I have of you is to make something very strange for me, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, no, you kind of leave it up to their their uh, discretion. And your did you have any fear that any of these individual directors would bring you something that you wouldn't want to use? Well, you know what's interesting about that. I actually tried to take myself out of the equation um, to some degree as a as a producer because I, being a producer on this movie is a bit different than like I mean I'm not usually producing any movies but it's different than like being a producer on a regular movie I think where you try to impose more your taste on the project and so, look every producer is different some producers are more try to service the director and really like serve the director's interests and in others like don't want the director to be a puppet and they, you know, there's, believe me, there's different types. But with this, it was like, you know, I didn't know what people were going to bring me, but I was pretty much committed to putting it in no matter what, Mm -hmm. whatever I felt about it personally, because it's not just about me. This movie is about eight different people. And, And I wanted, above all, I think I wanted this movie to have variety and it does. That's like the, all the reviews that, that have come out. There was a review on Ain't It Cool News last week. All the reviews that we've gotten so far have pretty much said there's something for everybody in this, you know. And, and that's to me, that's one of the best um, critiques that I could hope for. Because I, I, I knew that, beginning, you mentioned Chris Seaver. I knew getting Chris Seaver, he's going to give me a totally different type of film than Tim's going to give me. Oh, yeah. And Todd Sheets is going to give me a totally different film than Marcus Koch is going to give me. And 
and that's what I wanted. I wanted everybody to do something different and to give me a bunch of different styles and, and uh, some funnier, some more serious. Um, you know, and then some people gave me things that I didn't expect at all, like like Ron Bonk did something that, that had a lot of humor in it that I didn't expect from him because I haven't seen uh, films by him that had a lot of humor in them, you know. But this one did, and it was great. It's funny. I, I think it, it, it kind of depends you know, what people were feeling at the moment, you know. Uh, right. It's very much of the moment, and that's fine with me. I, I didn't want people to think too much about these things. Like, just come up with something you think would be cool and just go do it. You know, don't, like, overanalyze it. Don't worry about the market or, yeah. you know. There's an energy in that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, if, if anything, it's just going back to, like, when you were, you know, in high school or film school or wherever you were when you first started shooting stuff, you didn't really care I mean, I hope you didn't. You weren't thinking about a distributor or a marketplace or anything. I don't know what people think nowadays because, you know, I feel like you know, kids are in film school now. They're like, they just want to like get a calling card or they want to you know do whatever you know, put a video on YouTube or whatever. Then you know, the idea of making a personal expression, a short film that's actually expresses something personal. I don't know if that's even cool anymore, but it is to me. It still is to me. And so I just kind of want everybody to, like, do something like that. Like, don't worry about the commercial element of it. You know, just do something that, that you want to do. Now, of course, at the end of the day, though, this movie still has a ton of gore and creatures and monsters and nudity and blood. And, I mean, it's, it's chock full of all of that. So it's not like it's a, it's a you know, a artsy, you know, <laughs> uh, two people sitting in a room. and You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not like that. But well, you do have Chris Sieber involved in your film. Yes. <laughs> everybody did something different. Yeah, and Chris, like, I mean, like, I'm not a big fan of, like, parodies and things like that. Like, that's not me. But I, I, knew, who, I knew Chris's work, and I was like, I have, to, I, have to call, I have to call Chris on this. Like, I have to call Chris Sieber because it's like, he, like what he's going to do is going to be so different than yeah. anything else anybody else does and he and he surely delivered that <laughs> i love his stuff you know chris i've had chris on the show before and uh-huh. uh, i love his energy while obviously he makes the type of films and he told me flat out he wants to make party films he wants to make films that that people have a good time to and don't right, take right. seriously and uh i love that energy regardless of the fact that you know he may hit some films may hit some people some films won't hit some people right but right. but it's all about that energy of having fun and, right. and putting out something that you actually want to put out. The guy just right. has so much creativity that it had to be exciting to just not know what you were going to get from. Him. I was it was exciting and scary, you know. Like like I remember the first film we got was Donald Farmer's, you know, and it was like I actually his film is very twisted and like it's kind of different than his other movies. Like that was the other thing that surprised me. Is sometimes people delivered things that were not really what you necessarily expect of them. And it almost took me a couple of watches, and I was like, oh, okay, this is, oh, that's what he's commenting on this. And, like, it was kind of, it was just interesting. It was kind of challenging. And, you know, that was the first one we got. And then, you know, and then we started getting more and more, and, and it, was, it, was, you know, it was really cool. I mean, some people, I asked everyone to send me the scripts beforehand, and some people did and some people didn't. So, so in some cases, I got to see. I think one person sent me the script after I saw the movie, which I was like, "Thanks, <laughs> thanks a lot." I guess I can do a little comparison here, you know. Um, but did they give you a synopsis at least? Um, some people did, and some people didn't. Oh. I was, I was. I mean, we. You know, like I said, we. You know, 
everybody is, is, has been very supportive of the film, and, and always, and they have been from the from the get go. But you know, some filmmakers, you know, it was it was easier to it was an easier communication flow, and it was you were getting more stuff. Like I'm Ron Bonk, for example, sent me his script, you know, and that's exactly the script that he shot. You know, he did this zombie. It's a zombie piece, but it's not like any zombie piece you've ever seen. And I, and believe me, I'm tired of zombie films. But like, oh yeah, his thing is not like that. It's like really unique and funny, and it's a lot. It's a lot of people have have enjoyed it. Let's just put it that way. Who've seen it? it it's you know, it's gotten a lot of good, um, you know, good feedback. You know, Tim. I saw Tim's script. You know, I, I saw most of the scripts. There were just a few where, where you know they. They just kind of would say, "Okay, I'm shooting this weekend," and I'm like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> I get an email, you know, on Facebook. Of course, I'm shooting this weekend. Oh, all right. Good luck with the shoot. <laughs> I look forward to seeing what you come up with. But I mean, that I guess it's just sort of like probably it's par for the course with something like this. I mean, you're you're dealing with you know seven other filmmakers who you know in in, in pretty much all cases have track records and have their the way they they do things the way they do them and. And what you know about all of them is that they deliver, because they've all got a ton of movies behind them. So I didn't necessarily think anybody was just going to like not deliver a movie, or um, if they could, if they didn't deliver a movie, it would be because they had some huge, you know, tragedy or something happened, like that they really, you know, couldn't out of their hand. Things were really out of their hands. Um, but I was, uh, you know, we like I said, we tried to exert some control to some degree, but you know, there were other, there were some cases where. We just were like, okay, <laughs> I guess we'll just see what we get. But right. but everybody did turn by the by the you know the the period that we needed the films by by the you know whatever it was beginning of the summer, everyone had turned in their films, and then we had a supervising editor who he got the the uh, the fun task of bringing all those films into the timeline and you know. Um, working with with films that were all you know in some cases delivered in different formats, you know, programs and things like that. But but you know he he did a one Chris Larusso he he did a wonderful job with that. So and he also cut the wraparounds. That was the other part of the movie that we did. I I directed um, the wraparound story. So let's let's talk about uh, the pieces that you directed, the scout and uh, the wraparound. Sure. Uh, what did you what did you all shoot on? Well, we shot ours on mini DV. And that was probably about as high-end as, as I wanted anybody to go, you know, um, mini-DV camcorder that we had. And, um, yeah, we shot both both the Scout and, and the Wraparound with that same camera. And I shot it myself, which I have not done that. You know, we were talking about Screen Queen earlier. I haven't shot anything myself since I was in film school. Like, basically since I moved here in 97, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't done that. So that was... How How did that feel? Uh, you know what? It actually felt pretty damn good. Because not to take anything away from, from DPs that I've worked with, because I've worked with some very good ones, but there's something really nice about just looking right through the lens and just you're getting, you're you're seeing exactly what you're getting, you know? There's mm-hmm. no distance. There's no distance. You, like, the camera is like an extension of you. It's kind of how I used to feel when I was shooting stuff, uh when I was growing up in Virginia Beach shooting things on high eight with my friends, that was kind of the whole point of the project, you know. So I I had, I mean, sometimes it was very demanding. I mean, we we shot um, each of these segments, which are about ten minutes each, we shot them in one day, 
each. And, wow. Yeah, I mean, like, the Scout was like a 12-page script, and we shot it in one day. And it was not a long day either. It was probably like a 12-hour day. Part of the reason why we were able to do that is because I shot it myself. Because, if you know, if I had someone else shooting, it just, you know, it could just take longer. You have more... Did back- you do... Did you end up doing... Uh, because you shot it yourself, was one of the requirements that you use in-camera sound? I didn't really have requirements on that. I, I didn't necessarily mind if people used microphones because I did want the sound to be good and usable. Sure. Um, I will be honest, though. My segment, I did not do that. <laughs> my segment, I used the camera mic because mm. we did do some kind of like ADR-type stuff in post. We did a little bit of that, pulling lines from different takes and things like that for a couple of shots, but I actually thought it sounded loud and clear, and nobody's, you know, really had a problem with it, so that's what I did, and, you know, that's about as low-tech as you get, but that's, that's you know, that was the choice I made, because it was about getting a microphone and having one more person there doing that. Yeah. I'm like, man, we're never going to get this thing done in, in one day, because <laughs> we were driving out to the desert, um, out to Mojave Desert, which is about an hour plus, you know, uh, outside of L.A., north of L.A., and and I knew exactly where we were going to shoot because I shot a few movies there years ago, and we did a location scout beforehand, but still, you know, I just didn't want to have unnecessary people. But some, like I said, some people, you know, had like a, like, some people just had a microphone mounted to the camera, you know. Sure. Um, people weren't doing elaborate booming as far as I know, you know. I think Chris, well, that's kind of the spirit of what those films used to be. That's the spirit of it. I think, I think Chris might have used the camera mic for his thing. I think he might have. I mean, I, I didn't ask him that question, but I think he might have. And Marcus Koch might have done that, too. I mean, you know, and so, and that's fine with me. I mean, you know, you can hear the dialogue. Everything's audible. Everything's clear. Um, and actually, the sound work is pretty pretty good. I mean, like all these films have, like, layered soundtracks and sound design and stuff. We did do a lot of sound design, actually, with mine. Um, mm. You know, we did a lot of, well, we're in the desert and there was wind, and so we kind of added to the wind sounds, and we we have a lot of, we have some music that kind of lay, layers in there, and there's just, a, there's a sequence toward the end that's very, I don't want to describe it because it would give the whole film away, but it's very technically kind of ambitious um, and required a lot of sound sound work, a lot of picture and sound manipulation, you know, uh, mm-hmm. so with a lot of kind of heavy, heavily posted at the end, but I, when I say posted, see, once again, though, I'm not talking about green screen or CG or things, you know, like that, I'm just talking more about, like, adding sound effects and, you know, quick cuts and things like that. It's like just going back to, like, regular editing, ed- editing tricks, you know, that's what I wanted people to do, kind of go back to the kind of things you had to do when you had, like, a, well, for me, it would be like a flatbed, like a you know, cutting 60 millimeter on a flatbed or... Sure. Or editing with a real... Um, two tape decks. to tape. Yeah, tape to tape. Yeah, like that type of thing with an editing controller and all that, you know? And that that's kind of what I want. I didn't want anything to go beyond that. Yeah, you got to love that. I'm, i am got to be honest. I am super excited <laughs> about well, seeing this movie. Ever since first hearing about it, um, see, just to see you and Tim Ritter get together to put this together. Tim Ritter, and, and I told him this, he's one of the reasons why I become a filmmaker back mm-hmm. in the day, was reading an article uh, from the un- Tales from the Underground in Fangoria magazine uh-huh. where they talked about... Uh, oh, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, that, that Killing column. Spree. Yeah, Tim is, Tim is very cool. I mean, I remember 
renting. I think the first movie of his I saw was Killing Spree. You yeah. Know, and I was working in a video store, you know, and we had a we had it was a mom and pop, and we had uh, indie titles, and we had Killing Spree, you know, and and I saw that, you know, and I was like, what the heck is this thing? You know, it's crazy, and all these hallucination sequences in it, you know, and, so far. And then I saw Creep. Like I remember a friend of mine had Creep, and it was hard to find these movies back then. You know, and, and this, I'm talking about the '90s here. I mean, it was, it was hard to find. You could find them, but like here and there, you know. Right. And and when you found one, it was like, what is this? You know, like yeah. So creep, and and then you know, and um, you know, and then later on, I saw actually I saw a documentary he did called Blinded by the Blood, which is like a, I think it's about the making of. I forget which movie it is, but the making of one of his films might be. Wicked. I believe it's uh, Wicked Games. I like Wicked Games a lot. That's actually I don't think I haven't told Tim this, but this is this is probably one of my favorite of his movies. Actually, I like. There's just something about it I like. I like the music, and I like the. I don't know. I just like the story or something. It just has kind of like a crunchy, weird vibe to it that I, that I like. But but no, it's 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 fun. It's been real fun working with him, and and he's been real supportive and. Like, he wrote an article about his segment, which is called Switchblade Insane, and it's kind of like a riff on Last House on the Left and I Spit on Your Grave and all these things. He kind of put all those in a blender and then did, like, a Tim Ritter to it. and you know, <laughs> Ritter, He Ritterized it. and uh, People cheating on each other. It's nuts. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, yeah, kind of. There's some <laughs> of that going on. There's always infidelity. It's never far from a, from a Tim Ritter film. It's never far from that. Um that's one thing I found out about him watching his movies. I'm like, okay, another. I mean, almost waiting for that scene. You know, you're like, yeah, yeah. When's somebody gonna cheat on somebody and then go nuts and yep. you know, kill everybody? But, but uh, he, um, yeah, he's he's been real cool. And he wrote a piece about that for Gorezone. Like uh, when they relaunched Gorezone, they published the article about his thing. And we were off to a, a very good start with that because that was like in the fall of last year. It was like in October. They published the article about Switchblade Insane, and that's how a lot of people got to become aware of High Eight and, you know, so anyway. But, yeah, he's been, you know, it's been fun. It's been fun with a lot of these guys. It, you know, I'll tell you, it's been fun to to interact with them and, and you know, talk to them, and they all have different things to contribute. Todd Sheets has been super cool. He's been super supportive, and, uh, you know, he had a theatrical screening for the movie, and he, he did our website for us, and... He's been like, he's just a real nice guy. Um, yeah, it's good to see him back doing stuff again too, because I know he had so many health issues in the last. Yeah, he did. Years and, 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 and when I when we started this thing, it was right after that he had had his heart surgery or whatever, and 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 I remember thinking, God, is he going to be able to do this? You know, like I hope he can yeah. do the movie. And but then at the same time, he was starting to do his other film, House of Forbidden Secrets, and like I was like, well, he just directed a feature, so I guess he's in fairly good shape and. And that kind of worked out well, too, because a lot of the people that worked on that, he just imported them over to his short film for High 8. So, well, weren't uh, they shooting it at the same time? Not, I don't think it was exactly at the same time. I, mean, I don't think it was like, you know, they, they just... I don't think they did it like that. I think, I think they finished that movie, and then they shot The Request, which was his short for the movie. I think, he, I think that's how it happened. I mean... I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I remember it was all kind of mixed together. It was like, you know, I was hearing about House of Forbidden Secrets at the same time that he was saying they're going to do the request. So maybe they were, like, just finishing it. They finished one and rolled right into the request. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, Ron, Ron Bong kind of did that, too. You know, he has this movie called She Kills that he 
that he's posting right now. It's his new movie, his new feature. And he had some people he was working with on She Kills, and I think he brought some of them over onto, um, onto his short for High 8. So, so some people did that. I mean, for me, I, you know, brought a, had a lot of new actors, um, even some new effects people, and they did a real good job. And I kind of relied more on people I worked with um, in post. I had an editor that I worked with on a bunch of movies and a composer that's done, you know, four or five movies for me. And so I kind of brought my friends in on post. But we didn't need that many people who were uh, shooting these, you know. Um, didn't need that many cast or crews. So we kept it pretty minimal for our thing. I kind of enjoyed doing it that way. I mean, my last movie was a sci-fi horror movie that we had about 100 people every day on set and right it was you know i mean that was fine i enjoyed that it's that's an experience that you know uh i was really glad to have but you're talking about plaguers right yeah i'm talking about plaguers yeah i mean when you, you do a movie like that you know sometimes your your next film is like a reaction to that almost like okay you know i just did a sci-fi, you know, whole things in space, and, you know, if you can't move the camera, you know, if you move the camera, you're going to see a grip standing there, <laughs> a cup of coffee, you know, with a donut. Right. You know, you can't, you can't, you're restricted, you know. But with something like The Scout, we went out in the desert, and you can pretty much turn the camera wherever you want, you know. You can, you know, do whatever you want, whatever hits you at the moment. I mean, I had a shot list, but there's a kind of like a freedom there that, uh, freedom for the actors and freedom for me, and it's kind of fun, you know. It's it's just a different a different type of filmmaking. So, well, you guys definitely hit it at the right time because there's there's still even though it seems like that VHS kind of craze is starting to taper off a little bit. Um, yeah. I think they're hitting at the at the right time where there's still that. They kind of urge to want to see this kind of stuff. I think it's just got to, you got to just, it's almost like you've got to look at the project outside of, like, the trend. And I think that, you know, you've got the, the anthology trend. You've got the VHS movies, you've got the ABCs of death, and, and you know, a lot of these things, it feels like that as soon as they do one, they're announcing a part two, you know? Right. I mean, I'm not announcing a high nine. I mean, people have asked me about that. Are you going to do another one? I don't know. That's probably what I'd call it if I did it, but it's... Not easy to make a movie like this. Um, no. It would be nice to have somebody write a check to make another one. You know, then maybe we'll do one. You know, right. I don't know. But it's, it's, it's not, you know, I'm not trying to create a franchise here. I just you just want, want to, to do a cool project, right? I just want to do a cool project. It's literally just make movies for the sake of making movies. And, and I feel like nowadays it's just, there's a weird, to me there's a weirdness in, in the, you know, the horror world it seems like a lot more people are doing it. I mean, I've been doing this since the, since the 90s, late 90s, and when I was doing it, there weren't that many people doing it. And now it seems like everybody's doing it. And I kind of, I'm kind of, you know, doubtful of some people's intentions, you know, why they're really doing this. And, you know, I, I think that for our thing, we just, we're not that concerned about the other anthologies. We're just more like, we made this movie these particular people got together, they make this movie, and that's it. And mm -hmm. therefore, you know, okay, it happens to be an anthology, and there's anthologies that are popular right now, and I agree with you that there are probably too many of them starting to pop up, and it's starting to become tiresome. But, you know, part of the reason it's tiresome is because a lot of these things, they just have nothing to, to, for people to hold on to. You've got to have like, some kind of a hook that, that people can 
can get excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think we have that. I think that's why people are excited about the movie. And more to the point, the people who've seen it actually like it. I mean, it's 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 you know, hopefully it's gonna get an audience beyond just the SOV diehard SOV fans. Uh, I mean, look, I'm I'm first and foremost hoping that diehard SOV fans like this movie because they are. That's who it's for. That's the end. Of, that's who it's for at the at the you know most basic level. But hopefully, some people who who are not necessarily aware of all these these filmmakers' work will still enjoy the movie. I mean, that's that's our hope, you know. Um, so yeah, it's it's been pretty good reception so far. We played a lot of festivals and we're playing one at the end of uh end of May and uh, actually I just got an email today from somebody in Nashville who was who's gonna screen it in Nashville, um at like a horror it's like a horror convention and you know. So that's pretty cool. I think Donald's actually gonna come to that and we're trying to see if Tim can come too, you know. Yeah, he's nearby there. Yeah, he's in Kentucky, so you'd hope. I mean, you know, people have different schedules, different priorities or whatever, but um, it would be really cool. I mean, we've done a lot of, like, we're trying to do as many, like, local screenings as we can. I'm I'm talking to different theater owners and, um, you know, all over the country, basically, to, you know, see how many places we can screen this movie, because... Eventually, it's going to come out on DVD, but I think right. it's fun to do the public screenings and do festivals and all that because, I mean, I don't know. I've seen it. I mean, we had an L.A. premiere in November last year, and I've seen it on a big screen, and it, it looks pretty good and sounds pretty good, and music, you know, it's nice and loud, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I like my movies loud. I like my. Yeah. I like to turn the volume up, you know, and it's uh, it plays pretty well to a crowd, so I think that we're going to keep doing that. You know, we're just going to keep doing those while we uh, while we pursue distribution. You know, a lot of people keep asking, "When's it coming out?" And all I can say is, when it comes out, it's going to be with the right it's going to be with the right person. You know? Yeah, do it right. Don't just force it out. No, and if that's the thing, you know, sometimes I never understood. You know, not to change topics, but I never understood some of the films I've done. I mean, you know, we're talking about witchcraft. I never understood why these things had to be done so quickly because they weren't necessarily these big movies that had, you know, it wasn't a tentpole, summer tentpole like Spider-Man. So mm-hmm. I never really understood why, you know, what, what's the, what's all the speed, you know, what's the, I mean, okay, I know there's a, a money, you know, money factor here, but sometimes with the post and certain things are like, why does this have to be so fast? Well, do they know? pre-sell it with a specific date in mind? Well, Could that possibly no, be it? That's the, that's the problem. Is that they weren't even at that level. I mean, like, if they had done, if they were doing pre-sales, like foreign pre-sales and stuff like that, that would be like another thing. Because I've I've worked for those those companies. I've I've made movies that that had foreign pre-sales, and that I understand. But some of these other ones, like Witchcraft, it was like there were no foreign pre-sales on that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like we're making this movie, and, and and you know, and 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 then of course the guy took like a couple of years to put it on DVD. It was like, well, that was really worth it for all that you know running around and. And, and fast posting and and carelessness in some cases, um, you know. I, I think many of the films I've done were made for distributors. The distributors just put them out on video when they felt like it. They didn't put them in festivals, and, they, and so I didn't get that experience. I had that experience with Plagers, and it was a good one. We won awards. We got to travel. It was a very nice experience. So with uh, High Eight, we're kind of doing the same thing. 
you know, we're we're you know doing grassroots screenings and all that, and it's it's fun, you know. And what's really fun is, you know, some of the filmmakers can actually attend these things and 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 show up for it. And we shot all over the country, so you'd hope like you do a screening here, there, or whatever, people can can see it. But um, I don't know. I'm just I'm just very very happy about the reception the movie's gotten. I'm you know. Because there's a million different directions this movie could have probably gone. Sure. Uh, from you know what I mean. I mean I'm I'm pretty pragmatic. I mean it's you know the 21st movie that I've I've done, the 21st feature that I've been involved with as a director, and it's you know I've seen movies go all different directions for all different reasons, and it's pretty cool that something that you know because producers you know are financial entities and stuff they like to think of directors as being these bohemians that can't put anything together <laughs> and that's not true because if everybody was a, was like that we wouldn't have been able to do this and put it together the way we did and then get you know get it out there and get the reception that we've had so i guess we must know something you know i guess we must know how to do something right it's well it's a sign of conviction it's a, a sign that you guys had a vision you guys unified with it and you executed it which yeah. is something that a lot of people can't say especially when they're making micro-budget films is having that kind of conviction to follow through and execute what they went out and set out for with no yeah. budget. Yeah, I think I think it was kind of like everybody kind of like the energy was building, and I think that that once certain filmmakers, you know, it was almost like a chain reaction, I think that certain filmmakers heard who else was involved. They were like, oh, this is, this is going to be pretty cool, you know, like, and they, and some people I think even were like, I better bring my A-game because... Because you know we got some other heavy hitters in this. Yeah. Um, but I think that might have had something to do with it as well. You know, and and also I think it was just the excitement. You know, that I mean we're all. And look, I haven't been doing this as long as Tim has been doing this. Um, but we've all kind of seen a lot of ups and downs in the industry, and it's very it's in a weird place right now, and in, in many ways. And I think that there's a certain. Um, well, how can I put it? I mean, I think people are, well, I was going to say if they're concerned, but I think that they're, they're just, you know, they're not sure what's going on half the time, you know, in terms of distribution and, and everything. And I think that this just sort of appealed to everybody as like more like a fun outlet and not, and not something you really be stressing too much over, you know. You, you, you do a good job, but you're not like, you know, you're not having a heart attack over it. It's more just to have to enjoy the process. Right. I think that appealed to everyone. I didn't say to everybody, you got to have this element. You got to have six sex scenes in the movie. <laughs> you know, Gary <laughs> Pfeiffer. Every eight pages, there has to be a sex yep. scene or whatever. You know, I mean, when you tell people things like that, how excited can they really be about making the movie? Yeah. I mean, of course, it's a job, and you you're professional, and you want to do a good job and, and make the best movie you can. But you're going into the movie literally feeling like hamstrung and restricted. And with this, it was like the opposite. So I think that might have just appealed to people, too. It's kind of like, you know, let's just have fun and... and make and something cool. And make something cool. And we're all, and, and nobody did, nobody did like, films that were too uh, similar. Like, I was wondering about that. Is, is there you know, maybe two or three people that want to do a zombie film or something like that? And it wasn't like that. Everybody did something different. I didn't have to, to turn down any ideas or anything like that. So that was a nice... Um, aspect as well you know that's great yeah so 
Now that you're you're rolling it out to festivals, have you guys thought about going into any conventions? With this <clears throat> well, we did. We did do. Um, we played at Horrorhound. Um, Horrorhound's film festival. They con- they had a convention in Cincinnati in I think it was the end of March. Mm-hmm. And they they've actually been real supportive to the movie. They they were one of the first people to review it. They reached out to us and they're like, "We'd really like to see the movie. We'd really like to review it." And um and so we took a chance on that and they they really liked it. Um and then they were uh, kind enough to program it in their film festival at the convention. So that was a nice uh convention, you know, play that that we had with them. Um I know there's so many. There are so many conventions. I mean, I've literally got people emailing me sometimes, you know, who just throw ideas out to me because there are so many more horror conventions now than there used to be. Yeah, there's almost too many now. There's almost too many. I mean, it's almost some of these things are kind of they're kind of suspect. In fact, I'll tell you. I mean, to be very honest, I mean, the the the, the convention. Well, I shouldn't say the convention. I should say the film festival scene in L.A. is a, that's that's a really thorny, difficult. Well, there's too many shysters out there that are looking to jump in. Yeah, and there's and there's definitely plenty here. You know, there's definitely plenty here, and there's definitely plenty people with agendas, and you really have to be careful who you even bother submitting to because sometimes it's not worth the submission fee. And you know, and and honestly, we haven't really been doing a lot of of paid things. We've been doing a lot of stuff where someone approaches us or we approach somebody, and they go, "We want to screen your movie," and you know, we just you know we give it to them. because that's really, it's not a money-making thing. It's just to get the movie out in front of people, just for people to see it. And so we've done, yeah, I mean, that's the only convention we've done. We've done limited theatricals. We've done uh, film festivals. We did actually a lot in Europe. We've done, like, a festival in Spain and one in Austria, like in Vienna. We've got one, another one in Spain coming up in this month. Um, I guess we've done about eight different screenings of the movie since November. Um, wow. Yeah, it's pretty good. I was looking at it the other day, and I was I was like, that averages out to, like, you know, more than one a month since we had the L.A. premiere. So, it is, and there's and there's a few things that I know Tim is, is putting something together. Like I said, we have this thing come up in Nashville. That's a convention. That's like a horror and comic convention. And I would be happy to screen it, you know, pretty much anywhere that that people are interested in it. You know. See, my thing is with it is that uh, it, the film itself, because of you and everyone else that's involved with it, it's just right to have you guys on a panel or be featured guests at a convention where you screen the film. I bet you guys could make some nice money at a convention like this. I, yeah, you think. You'd think, but, you know, like, they're, it's so crowded. That field is so crowded, and uh, I, I haven't tried that. I mean, I, I shouldn't poo-poo it. I mean, I haven't tried it. I think getting us all together in one place would be would be kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do know. I will tell you one thing. There's. I mean, this is this is moving. You know, further ahead in the year. But in September, Ron Bonk. Um, it will be screening in Syracuse. Uh, at, at this, it's a horror convention there, horror fe- film festival, and Ron Bonk and Todd Sheets are both going to be there for that. So oh. that's kind of cool. So at least two of the eight will be there. And and like I said, this thing in Nashville, Donald and Tim might both be there. It would be really a major, major effort to get us all in one, <laughs> in one room. Uh, that'd be really cool, though. You know. 
I know as a fan, I would love that. I would go nuts over it. I yeah, I I'd be open to it. You know, if somebody wanted to do it. Um, it sounds great. It's it sounds like a cool idea. Oh, I should I should pester Ken at Cinema Wasteland. <laughs> yes, please do, man. Pester everybody. I mean, because I, I, I mean, there's like I said, there's so many of these of these. I, I know that one, you know, but like, there's a lot of major ones that we all know, but then there's like many, many others that are like, you know, they're just they're just kind of. Um, you have to look for them and find out about them and see if it's worth your while or or what. Right. Well, I think uh, it's starting to reach that plateau where a lot of this has got to start dying out. You, I mean. How many conventions can fans really pour all their money into before they're just like because now you go and all these guests are charging forty to eighty dollars just to stand next to them and take a, a picture on your phone? I've you know, I'm, I've read yeah, I've read things like that and that that makes me sick. I mean it really it really has gotten ridiculous because, I mean I can remember I can remember going to like my first Fangoria convention. Like I was out here in ninety six. I was literally in like a uh, my summer vacation from college, I was working, and I was, and, you know, anyway, I had the day off one of the Fangoria days, and I went, you know, of course I went, I had, you know, never been to one before, and I, yeah, there were a few people there, and I think maybe, maybe somebody might have charged me five bucks, you know, for like a signed photo or something. Right. But, but to hear, you know, and I, I've never been, I'm not an autograph collector or anything like that, but, you know, to hear, you know, I think I heard something about John Carpenter recently that he was charging $50 for a photograph or something. And, right. Yeah, and I'm, look, I, I'm i a big fan of his movies, but I ain't, you know, paying no $50. So no. It's sad. And I think it's 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 just, you know, people taking advantage of of the fans too much. You know? Yeah, well, they, they smell, it's like a shark, you know, tasting blood in the water where, Jason Collum and I did a uh, flashback in Chicago with Linnea back when the documentary came out. And Linnea didn't charge anybody a single thing for, for taking pictures or autographs. Um, I mean, obviously, if you wanted to buy something off her table with another man or all together. But she had lines out the door mm. all day. That you know that that's that doesn't surprise me in the least. She's almost like too nice. Like, do you think? Didn't you think? I mean, she's almost like like so nice that you almost feel like people take advantage of her. And I think she's a lot smarter than that. Yeah, though, I, think I, you're I, right. I noticed that. I, I noticed you right. know, she, would, she would put up with creeps that would come up and just say just unruly things to her. Where I was just like, how are you putting up with? This? Yeah, you know. But she yeah. does it with a smile, and she's been doing it for so long that she knows when to pull back and whatnot. But at the same token, she's not. She she knows that without these fans that are coming to to see her, and that most of them do buy something from her. Right. That you know what? She's nothing. Yeah. Well, I think everybody should be aware of that, you know. But but some people don't care, and they just. It's sad to hear that stuff. It's almost like I don't know what I dislike more that when I hear. People um, talking about how much uh, celebrities charge for their autographs, or people who immediately resell those autographed items. Oh, you know, yeah. On, on you know on eBay or whatever, as soon as they get them, and that's what I'm talking about. There's there's a certain phoniness that's that's sort of out there right now that that I just kind of I kind of find it hard to take, you know. But um, I don't immerse myself in it all the time either. You know, I do other things, but uh, <laughs> I don't think it's healthy to. I really don't think it's healthy to. Yeah, I, I'm limit, you got to limit your time in the virtual world and in the convention world and all of that. I mean, it's uh, 
you know. But but I do no. I think it's a nice idea you had about everyone getting together for something. It'd be cool if we could could pull that off. And maybe maybe once the movie gets more traction, maybe you know it's we're we're building building momentum for it. I think bit by bit. Um, it's hard to stand out and nowadays, but I think. Well, you guys have the gimmick. You guys definitely do. have the gimmick for that film. So we I do. I really hope you guys are able to sell this thing. You guys get the exposure you need for this yeah. because it looks like an exciting project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it's going to get out there. It's it's I refuse to you know aside from Screen Queen, I <laughs> I have no one. I've said you know someone asked me one time, aren't your are all your films released or something? And I said, yeah, they are. All my films are released and and uh, some cases in you know more than one country and and everything. And I no, this this movie will definitely get out there. Um, you know, sometimes distribution takes longer than than making the movie. Absolutely. I, mean, I was I was really surprised, honestly, when we had this movie ready to go in the fall last year. I was like, wow, we we did this whole thing from like conversations on Facebook to a finished movie in like eight months. So, or not even maybe like seven months. You know, so it really uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's karma, man. You know, you're you have something good going on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what's next for you, Brad? What do you, what do you have coming around the, the bend oh, here? Oh, boy. I, I would say, you know, right now I am so immersed in, in, in High 8. I haven't given that a lot of thought. Um, I do have some scripts that, you know, I, I wrote a, quite a few spec scripts in the interim, you know, between Plagers and, and doing High 8. And I, I would love to see one of those get made, you know. These are bigger budget movies. Uh, not huge budgets, but they're you know, let's say $100 million movies that I would really, really like to see come to fruition, you know. Um, I think it would be great to do another one of those. It would be great to do one of those, or I don't know. You know, you sometimes you never know. I mean, like this, like it's kind of funny. I'll tell you, like last, not last year, like I guess it was kind of like last year. We, we were planning on more or less you know, uh, ready to go ahead with a more or less like a haunted house movie that we had a location for, a script was written, you know, we're, we're kind of putting it together. And then Hyatt popped up, and I was like, well, we, we can do, we'll do Hyatt and we'll do the haunted house movie, you know. And it's funny because, you know, the haunted house thing ended up collapsing. Um, the location, there was an issue with the location, and we just couldn't shoot it there anymore, and then it was like, you know, we did, we kind of double back, kind of regroup on that one. You know, but it was it was almost like karmic in a way because Hai became such a. I mean, frankly, it ended up taking so much of our time mm-hmm. putting it all together and interacting with everybody and, and making sure everything got done right. And and then I liked how it was coming out. And then I'm like, this is this is my movie for the year. You know, this is the movie that I, that I was that I did in in 2013 because it was just you know so consuming that I don't know if I would have even had time to do another film. Sure. So that just worked out, you know, that worked out for the best, I guess. So I don't know, you know, I mean, it's, you, you never know. I guess my point is that you never know what's coming because that was something that came up out of a Facebook discussion and almost like a spur of the moment, uh, decision, you know? Um, so you never know. I mean, would I do another anthology like this again? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I'm not saying we're going to do you know some like I said we're not launching into the sequel immediately. I I really I want to see uh, this one's I like how this one's doing and everything, but 
you know, I wasn't intending to turn into a franchise or anything like that. That doesn't mean it won't happen, but I, I, right. I don't know. I mean, it kind of depends on how this one does, too, at the end of the day. I mean, you, you really don't know sometimes until, like, a year or two, you know, later how it's, how it's really, really performed. Sure. Um, but that wasn't really the point. I mean, the, the whole point was really more to just have fun. But I would I would just say that I would love to do one of my own scripts that I've got sitting around here. I've got a, you know, they're L.A. set movies that are very much about the 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 geography of L.A. that the the culture. It's it's a lot of the, you know people make a lot of movies here, but they don't often comment on this place. It's more like it's just a place that people are just shooting things. You know, wow. it's just a nameless city. But I've lived here long enough now that some of the stuff I'd like to do, and actually, if you watch the Scout and you you see the Scout and Hyatt, you'll see it's 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 definitely in that vein. Um, that's just kind of what I what I like to do and what I've, the direction I've been kind of going with a lot of my writing. There's still horror films, I will tell you that. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, right? I mean, it's, right. you know, it's kind of hard to get out of that. I mean, if you've established yourself in something, it's hard to push another type of film through as many many other directors have found well I'm sure a lot of producers they, they kind of pigeonhole you into being well you've done this many oh yeah yeah oh, yeah. it's very it's very difficult to get out of that it's it's what you have to do is almost like you just have to be like well it's horror and then you have to find something in it that, that also interests you um, because Personally, I've done a lot of films with gore and stuff like that, and I'm not that interested in gore effects and any more. You know, I've just done so yeah. much that that when I sit down to write a piece, uh, I just kind of think more about the characters and you know just what's unique about the story and you know uh, what have I what can I do that I haven't seen before in movies as opposed to just how many ways can people get killed and how gory can it be and how much blood can we pour. Sure. I mean, I've done that, you know. That's a young man's game. I think it kind of is. I mean, and I'm, I don't think I'm that old, but but at the same time, and look, and at the same time, look, if, if the right thing comes up and it's real gory, fine, I'll do it and probably have a lot of fun doing it, um, you know. Yeah. But, but, but when I, you know, sit down to write my own things, I kind of, I get away from that a bit more just because it's, you know, the camp blood and the death factory and all that kind of stuff. It's just people really like those. I've, I've, re- so many people have said nice things to me about those movies. I'm, I'm really grateful for that. But they're not. I don't see myself making a lot more movies uh, like those. You know, but who knows? It's not always about what you want. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's one thing about this Where's business. It's not always about what you want. I mean. Yeah. IA was definitely about what we wanted, but that was unique. That was, you know, that's 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 what was probably appealing to all of us about it is, you know, you don't have anybody telling you otherwise, and so it's cause so much of this is like what other people want or want to see from you or expect from you or things like that, you know. Sure. So, but it's given me a lot of energy. This project gave me a heck of a lot of energy because. You know, sometimes you can you can run up against the wall, trying to get bigger things off the ground, and it's it's just you know you keep hearing the same old comments and excuses from people, but then at the same time, movies keep getting made. 
You know, yep. it's just like, well, there's some money out there for movies. I mean, I don't care what economic meltdown or whatever people want to talk about. Movies continue to get made, and they continue to get made at all levels. So, okay, there's not as much of a middle ground in Hollywood anymore, which means there's not as many 20 to $30 million movies being made. Well, I don't necessarily need a 20 to $30 million movie. I'm, I'm You know, a million dollars is – I can do a lot with a million dollars. So – you know, or five hundred thousand, for that matter. So, it's like that's the kind of thing that it would be uh, be nice to shoot for something in that range and do something like that. Just something that's a bit more, you know, a little more comfortable situation, production situation, more shooting days, and you know, eighteen days as opposed to six days. You know, yeah, right? I kind of. I mean, a lot of the movies I worked on when I first moved here. I worked for for this director named Jeff Burr, who did Leatherface and a bunch of other movies. And and Jeff is a veteran filmmaker who knows a lot. And and I was working on 18 day movies for him. You know, I was I was his assistant, and it was really educational. You know, and and those films on, on some level were compromised from what they uh, could have been. You know, but. 18 days is, is actually pretty luxurious when you made a movie in six days, you know? Right. <laughs> well, you don't have to rush through. I, I mean, your actors are given enough space to be able to breathe on set, and they're, they're not yeah. run through 20 pages of dialogue in a day. Yeah. It's like, it's like I mean, in Plagueers, we had 14 days, okay, on that movie. And that was, that was about the longest schedule I've ever had. I've had two-week... 10-day, two-week schedules before. That was the 14 was the longest, and it was still not a lot of days to do that movie with all that action stuff. But it was still more luxurious just because it was a nicer um, production situation. It was it was well produced movie. It was I didn't have to do all the jobs of 10 people. You know, right. uh, I had to know what I was doing. I had to have decisions pretty much continu- continuously, but. Uh, I had department heads and an and actual crew, and yeah, it, it's yeah, it's, it, it does buy you a lot. I mean, just have a, that, that's really what that extra money buys you. To me, anyway, is it buys you the time that you need to kind of develop things better and uh, just do more prep. We had more prep on that film. I mean, talking about Plagueers, it's like you know versus witchcraft. I mean, that yeah, that's ridiculous. You know? <laughs> I mean, we had honestly, we put the kind of prep into the scout that we put into Plagueers. We put, like, a couple of months of, of prep into that, into the casting, the location scouts, because we had to go out to the desert and look around because some of the things that were there when I shot movies in 98 or 99, they weren't there anymore. Sure. You know? Like, it was this old junkyard. It was like a military junkyard. People live, There's, like, houses there now, <laughs> which is scary because they had, like, barrels of toxic waste there when I was there <laughs> in, in the 90s. But... Anyway, so, you know, it's a Return of the Living Dead type situation going yeah. on out there. Yeah, real estate is real estate, right? <laughs> yeah, who cares? And it was like all these, all these, like, tract houses. I was like, all right, so that's where the junkyard went. But, um, yeah, we put a lot of time into the prep and did, like, effects tests. And, I mean, it was funny because, like, we just had, like, one really major effect at the end of the movie of my film. And we did tests on that where it's like I've done films like witchcraft things like that we had you know, effects all over the place I never did tests for any of it it's just right when you get on set right uh, pretty much I mean you you know you I mean the person I had on that I worked with him before but like yeah it was a lot of like you know you approve things and there's some approvals going on but I mean like not like serious like the real 
the way things ought to be done. I don't know. Right. It was it was very rushed. That movie, because like, I'm thinking about that movie, and it was like, you know, we had like, I don't know how much prep I had. How long I had to write the script? Less than a month, probably. Holy cow. Oh, yeah, it was definitely written in less than a month. And, and then, then we were casting, and then it seemed like we were shooting like a few weeks after that. You know, it was it was very, it was just ridiculous, but, you know, whatever. It's an experience, and it's a credit, and, you know, I'm talking to you about it, so, you know, it's, <laughs> look, it's still kind of cool to be part of that, you know. It's it's cool to be part of, of that franchise, and, you know, I had a poster on my wall as a teenager, and I ended up directing one of those parts of that series. I mean, that's, how many people can say that, you know? Right. Well, so, that was... It's kind of neat, you know. It's, you can make fun of it and, and complain about it, but... At the end of the day, you did it, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, like like I was saying before, uh, one of the main reasons we, I did this whole retrospective on witchcraft was because it stuck in my mind. every When I was growing up at that time, going to video stores, it was everywhere. They were you everywhere. Saw, they yeah, were, you they, saw them. They really were. It was really hard to, to, to not find them. I mean, like, especially, like, I think when they – hit, like, maybe around part four, five, six, like, around that time, they were, like, really just saturated, you know? Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> it's all your fault. I got to watch oh the movie last night. Uh, well, well, another ten years, so, you know, that was... Uh, that was Well, great. I'm going to extend to you the same apology that I extended to everyone else. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I I thank you so much for coming on and sure, doing sure. with me, Brad. It was great talking to you. Yeah, great talking to you, man. I'm, I'm, I wish you luck with your anthology. You are listening to Triticon Ferrari off of their new album Melana Chasmata on Sunshine Media Records. Go bite. It's amazing.
Hey, good looking. Want a date? Are you looking for a sleazy good time? Then check out the podcast that gives you more half and half bang for your buck than any other show out there. Exploited Cinema. Join hosts Bat32, Dale Roy, and The Goat as they bring you sleazy and cheesy movie reviews each month. They'll also bring you engrossing interviews with indie filmmakers and horror historians. So what are you waiting for? Put your money on the dresser and get busy or else stop wasting my time. I need a man-sized podcast, not one for little boys. And that means exploited cinema. Listen up, suckers. Visit Exploited Cinema today at www.exploitedcinema.blogspot.com. You dig? I'm running. Yes, before it's too late. Trying to get away from that jailbait. It's a rough temptation. And because they just couldn't stop talking, here's more of the interview. And a good association, but a quick elimination. Yeah, that when you said the thing about the rap around, that made me think about how we approached that, and we kind of like didn't, we didn't shoot that rap around. I mean, we 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 didn't even know what it was going to be for a while. You know, it was almost like we kind of wanted to wait and see what, you know, what people were, were kind of coming up with, and then we we ended up doing something that didn't because you, you just made me think of it. What you just said, we didn't have the rap around depend upon what segments were where. Like, you know, it just it would kind of come in and go out basically. Yeah. Um, it's a very different kind of wraparound, and it's 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 like you know kids making a movie and they're running all around, and it's, there's a lot of motion, and, and it's kind of the opposite of like the tales from the crypt, you know, crypt keeper guy, you know, right? Polar opposite of that, and you know, because we just didn't know what these segments were going to be, like how they were going to begin or end, you know, what order we were going to put them in, you know, all this stuff was totally like kind of like up in the air. Um, for quite a while, and then we started getting them, and then we started, you know, probably by the time we got maybe five of them or six of them, we started thinking about... Really putting together. Yeah, we really didn't know. I mean, we really tried to create a... I, and I'm happy with the order we created, and then, you know, then our editors started to kind of... We started making suggestions about, like, how to do transitions and which, you know, certain segments would be better to fade out or fade in or dissolve or just do a hard cut. Like, you kind of never know what's going to happen. Like, sure. I had somebody tell me had some director, another director friend of mine, tell me something, like, after seeing it, he said, well, I didn't like that, you know, it wasn't uniform, and then somebody else said, well, that's actually what's great about it, because you don't know, like, it's kind of like very punk rock, like, it just dropped the needle on the record, you know, like... Sure, like a mixtape. Yeah, exactly, that's what, it's funny you'd say that, I just was talking to somebody, I did an interview last Friday, and that might have been the person who said that, it said mixtape. <laughs> well, it is like a mixtape, it's like all your favorite things, and you... You, but you decide the order. It's like you have some control over that. It's kind of fun. Sure. Like, I'm going to take all this stuff and 
put in the order I want to put in for, you know, whoever, for my girlfriend or whatever, you know, and it's like, it's just, um, it is kind of like that. I, I wanted to have a degree of raggedness about it. I didn't want it to be too predictable on any level, you know. Well, it shouldn't be. I mean, it's it's called High Eight. The, the spirit of yeah. those films kind of have that spirit, because some people uh, cut in camera. I remember hearing you talk about when you did your early films, you literally shot and cut in camera. I did. That's exactly what I did. I did. I used to do that. I did that on about, because I did like a bunch of shorts and like eight features, right? Like while I was in high school and college time. And of all of those, I didn't get access to an edit controller and decks till I was in college because the film school had that equipment. And I used it on like, I don't know how many movies I edited after that. Like I think I maybe had like three or four uh, let's just say like maybe half roughly half of the of the features I did were were edited in post <laughs> you know mm-hmm. there were a bunch of them that were like cut that's exactly how they were done and then there, I would do like big chunks sometimes like sometimes it would give if it was being really out of control I'd have like a 15 minute edited chunk that I would like do the 2 VCR thing you know sure. and have like chunk you know you have those color bars that kind of wave through the to the image for a second while you go to the next uh, section but it was even that, I mean, you're still like, in the middle of a dissolve, or I'm mean, not a dissolve, like a fade or fade out or something like that. But yeah, I did. That is how I did those. That's uh, that's it's it's ridiculous. It <laughs> <laughs> had to be so so it's tough. It's a ridiculous way to 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 shoot and and, and do anything, and it's terrible. It's terrible for the actors too, because they're like they're on pins and needles because they've got to like come in at the right moment, and it's it's very difficult. It's not just difficult for me, but for them. So that was a weird way of doing it. Um, and there's always pregnant pauses. Yeah, the- yeah people like, huh, you know. Or as soon as you have a, like, literally, if you had an effect, like, I remember we used to do these shootout scenes where we'd, like, have fireworks. We'd go, you know, get some whatever illegal fireworks, cross the state line and, you know, bring the fireworks back and then do these shootouts. And, and you know, I remember, you know, kids were putting fireworks on them, you know, t- taping, like, packs of jumping jacks, like, to their chest or whatever. And, you know, you've got, okay, light it. Okay, now action. You know, and you're hitting the button, and you hope that the fire, you know, the fireworks go off at the right moment. It's ridiculous, you know. <laughs> you're hoping that nobody gets killed, you know, gets burned, you know. And Right, right. <laughs> so all of that, you know. But what you're really worried about is the edit. You know, you want the cut to work. You don't really care if somebody gets burned. You just want to make sure right, you know. It's for the art. It's for the art, yeah. I mean, it's. I was doing it too, so you know, I I was doing those stunts too. But, but um, yeah, it, it's pretty crazy. So, yeah, you're right though. It, it was supposed to be a return to that type of of filmmaking. You know, the funny thing is that some people did things that were way slicker than than I expected them to. But it doesn't bother me because they still did it in the spirit of the project. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it hurts the movie to have a few segments that are a little on the slicker side with more like lighting and things like that. And that's fine. You know, well, it sells your movie. I'm sure too. It does. It does. Like Ron Bonks is very slick. It's got a lot of nice lighting, a lot of nice camera work, um, sound effects, music. He's got a great original score for his segment. I mean, everybody has original scores for their segments, but the music for his, it's, it's really good, and um, it's just very well put together. I mean, like, he really um, did a terrific job with it. You know, in fact, when I read the script, I told him, 
remember I emailed him. I said, are you really, are you going to be able to do all this? Like, I was such a concern for him, like, because it had all this action in it, like tons of action. And then he's like, what do you mean I'm going to do this? Of course I can pull this off. <laughs> he was kind of like, I mean, he was like, you know, laughing about it, but he was kind of like a little bit ticked off because, you know, like when I think of Ron, I think of his movie, The Vicious Sweet. Right. And and I like that movie a lot. I, 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 you know, I own a copy of it and I saw it when it came out. And it's such an introspective little psychological character piece. So I was like, oh, he's going to do something like that, you know? He, he, what he did couldn't have been more different than that. <laughs> you know, it had a ton of people in it. It has a, a ton of action in it. It has effects. It's, and it's funny. You know, Vicious Sweet is not funny. You know, it's it's very serious. So yeah. that was really interesting, like like such a case study in how a filmmaker can surprise you with really on every level because they the subject matter and the um the way they approach it is very different than you think it they would they would sure but i i was but in a good way you know definitely in a good way the result was was outstanding um yeah that's yeah. that's exciting well ron's been uh he's he, he's part of sub rosa he uh, is sub rosa he's yeah. he, that's his company and that's how I started dealing with him, really, is, is and this kind of played into the whole project as well. It it's, probably should have mentioned it earlier. I mean, he released one of my old high eight features that I did <clears throat> in 1995 called The Pact. And he was, he's doing these retro, you know, the VHS, uh, yeah. those big box things. And he was doing those, and, and he and I were just talking about I don't know what. And it turned out that it was weird. He had, he had reviewed my movie in like 96 or something um in alternative cinema in that magazine yeah and if you know that magazine he reviewed it you know and, and gave it a good review and and that was the end of that because it was never intended to be released but it's a feature it's a feature supernatural horror film and he and i were talking about the review like joking around like oh it's funny we're now we're connecting after all these years and you wrote this review and He's like, wait a minute, is that movie available? For, you know, has that been released? And I was like, no. He's like, well, I want it. You know, I want to release it. So that, you know, that's how that happened. I mean, we, you know, I got all the elements together and kind of did a cleanup on it, and then he cleaned it up even more, and then he released it. And uh, in in um, the beginning of last year, like twenty third, like March, March of last year. Yeah, he had made a real well. big push with a lot of films. It's awesome with the, oh, people love those and, and they sell out quick and their and their their the artwork is cool and, mm-hmm. and and that was a kind of a coup in a way for him because it was the first release anywhere of that movie. I mean, it was you know never previously released. So so and I was I was real happy with with working with him on that and and that's you know and I just respect him as a filmmaker. I respect him as an honest distributor, which is hard to find and and he. Um, you know, I, I wanted to bring him in on high eight. It was definitely somebody I was interested in working with because I, I just, I just trust him and I respect him. You know, sure. Um, and uh, you know, so anyway, yeah. And he released the movie again. Actually, he released it uh, just recently as part of this American Gore Stories things. He's got these like DVD sets. They're like volumes one, two, three, and four. Yeah, I just saw one of those. Yeah, he did, he did the the one that they just did. I don't want to toot my own horn so much, but it is a pretty good set. It's got the pact. It's got um, 
Tim Riddle, Shattered Dead. Illusions, the Shattered Dead, which is a pretty good movie. I like that movie a lot. And then Ron's movie, The Vicious Suite. So that's a pretty cool lineup. I mean, if you like SOV Horror, I mean, you could do a lot worse. Yeah, um, no doubt. So, Is there anywhere that, that people can go uh, to find out about uh, Hiat a little bit more? Um, there's a couple of places you can go. Um, we have a brand-new website uh, that's HiatTheMovie.com. It's like all... You know, all together there, HiateTheMovie.com. No dash, just like H-I-8TheMovie.com. Um, and then there's a Facebook page for it, which is high, it's actually called Hi8HorrorIndependent8. And But if you type Hi8Horror, it'll it'll come up. Um, and those are the two places to find out about Hi8. And then there's NightfallPictures.com, which is our, our production company, Josephine and I's production company, and we, you know, Put our put updates about our projects on that. So those are all pretty good places to to find out about. It. There's a trailer up on Vimeo if you want to check. Which out is trailer. awesome. Oh, you like that? Yeah, our oh, editor Chris Chris Larusa did that. That was totally his thing too. He like did it by himself and sent it over and showed it to me, and I was like, "You totally nailed it." You know, you totally nailed it. I don't want to show too much of the movie, but it's bonkers. Get a yeah, get a taste of it. You know. Uh, that's up, and we're also starting to. Uh, we we put up a clip. We have this like series of, of short clips that we're starting to put up now online. Like we had a clip from Marcus's film that we put up last month, and we're going to put up a clip from Ron Bonks, and we've got another one that I'll keep a, a secret for now. It's going to come up. You know, we're going to we're putting these clips up, but the best place to find out the the updates tend to go up on the Facebook page quicker than anywhere else. You know, whenever there's yeah. a, a festival release or a convention or a review or, you know, anything pertaining to the movie, that it gets up on Facebook quicker than any anywhere else. But it'll it'll be, you know, it all gets disseminated. After a while, it, you know, trickles down to the website and everything. So. Cool. So last last question for you here, Brad. Sure. If somebody were to come and say, hey, I'm not familiar with Brad Sykes, what is the one film that I should see if I'm going to watch a Brad Sykes movie? What would that be? Hmm. I could not pick one. I mean, I think it would be very hard for me to pick one. But, I'll, I'll, well, there's a, I'll just, maybe I'll pick three. <laughs> I mean, well, I would say. I mean, we talked about Plagers earlier, and I would I would pick that because that that's one I would want people to see what I can do um, on a bigger level, uh, you know, in terms of everything from the, you know, the action and the special effects and characters, everything. I, I think that would be that's a good that represents me well. I think, and in in terms of what I can do on a bigger budget, um, there's a movie called Mad Jack that I did. That's actually I mentioned it before. We're talking about Vista Street. That that one is is harder to find, but it's a movie that's very I'm very proud of. It's like a little road movie thriller in the style of The Hitcher or California. It's that type of a movie, and I'm just very very proud of that movie. Um, it represents me as a you know the writer and director, and I like how it turned out. And then on the micro budget side. I would actually pick a movie I did called Goth, which is actually pretty easy to find. Brain mm-hmm. released it. That movie is a movie that 
I got to, I pretty much made exactly the movie I wanted to make, and we didn't have a lot of money at all, but it has a rawness to it that I'm proud of that we captured. Like the performances, it's very character driven, and I like character driven horror. I think that's the mark of any good movie is, is honestly character, you know, characters that you care about. Right. And that movie has it, and it's just twisted, and uh, everything worked for me on that one. The music, like I talked about music earlier, the, the music score and the, the soundtrack I was really happy with, um, and just the way we were able to shoot it, and producer hated it. <laughs> hated, hated the movie, everything about the movie, but... The executive producer, Brain Damage, they knew what kind of movie we were making, and they were behind it, thankfully, and they were supportive. So uh, I think those three would be – I couldn't just pick one. <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't do it. I mean, I don't know. Because they all represent different uh, – everything. I mean, like, Mad Jack is a mid-range budget. and It's shot on film, and Plagueers is a bigger budget, and – you know, goth is a micro budget. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's hard to to just pick one because they're all coming from different like there's such different situations. Sure. But they all represent different sides of me. Plagueers is probably the more fun, lighter side of me. It's the more uh, referential, the most referential movie I've made, or one of the most referential. And that is the end of our episode this week. I want to thank Brad Sykes again for taking the time out to sit and talk to me about all the stuff we had the opportunity to talk about. I had a really great time. Everybody, please go check out his movies. I highly recommend them, especially if you're into the shot on video genre. His latter films definitely don't fall into that category, but he does have quite a few, and they're all really fun. So again, thank you, Brad, for taking the time to talk to me. Also, I want to give a couple shouts out to a few podcast buddies that are out there that have been kind of promoting and giving the thumbs up for Astro Radio Z. Uh, Bath32 from Exploited Cinema. You've uh, heard their ad being played probably for the last month or so. On this podcast, the guys that he has on there, all really super chill, nice guys, into sleazy cinema, um, into exploitation from the 70s and 80s, and just all around good dudes into really fun exploitation cinema. Go check out their podcast. Always a good time. Classic stuff. And then also go check out my buddy Scott over at the Dead as Hell podcast. He talks about horror news. He gives you film reviews. He talks about books and comic books and all sorts of stuff pertaining to pop culture. So go check him out. He's got great opinions and uh, just a super great dude. Again, I'm Derek Carey, and thanks for listening to Astro Radio Z. You can find this show on iTunes and Stitcher Smart Radio. You can check out our website at www.astroradioz.com. If you want to get a hold of me and chat with me, maybe potentially come on the show, you can contact my email at astroradiozpodcast at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page, there's a Twitter page, and there's a Tumblr page. You have no excuse to not go and scour the archives of Astro Radio Z. Until next time, 
Take it easy, guys. <laughs>